Good morning, everybody. Good to see you all here today. Uh, good to see some faces that I recognize. Uh, it's a joy always uh, to be with you and to see what's happening here at Story Church. Uh, we love you guys. We pray for you literally every single week and are, are just grateful for God's goodness to you. Uh, you all know the name Mark Twain. Uh, wrote lots of little short stories. Um, uh, famous for sort of his wit and wisdom, and Mark Twain uh, once wrote a story called The Bad Boy Who Didn't Come to Grief. It's a funny satire about a young kid who, uh, no matter how terrible he was, nothing bad ever happened to him. Um, uh, for example, Twain, he writes this, he says, once, uh, he, his, this little boy's, uh, I think his name was, was Jimmy or something like that, he says, little boy climbed up Farmer Acorn's apple tree. Uh, to steal apples, the limb didn't break, and he didn't fall and break his arm and get torn by the farmer's great dog and then languish on a sickbed for weeks and repent and become good. Then he writes that he went boating on Sunday, right, and he didn't get drowned. And that time that he got caught out in the storm when he was fishing again on Sunday and didn't get struck by lightning. This happens over and over till finally Jim grows up and Twain writes, Jim got wealthy by all manner of cheating and rascality, and now he is the infernalist, wickedest scoundrel in his native village and is universally respected and belongs to the legislature. <laughs> Some of you are like, oh, that's too close to home, right? That's, uh... We laugh, right? Twain makes us laugh at the unfairness of life, right? That's what we're, we were like, how in the world can this bad boy uh, make it in life and be so successful? And sometimes we laugh like that because if we didn't, we'd go crazy because the truth of the matter is life is hard and life throws us curveballs. Um, and sometimes what life does to us isn't funny at all, is it? Uh, it's really no laughing matter. Life doesn't make sense. We, we wonder how in the world things add up, that we, we look at our lives and it just doesn't, doesn't seem to, we have questions that, God, why don't you answer this? Why, don't, why doesn't it seem that things work out the way they're supposed to? Here's what I love about Ecclesiastes. As Travis has gone through it, I'm sure you found this to be true. It is so raw in its honesty, right? What I love about the writer of Ecclesiastes, and Travis, I don't know, are you, is it Solomon? Are you telling me it's Solomon or the preacher or whoever? Okay, good, yeah, okay. So what I, <laughs> that's a big discussion. I wanna make sure I'm on the same track. So what I love about the preacher is if it's not Solomon, whoever it is, is that he's, he says things that you and I think. We're like, yeah, and even as Christians, like I, 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 I'm not sure how to, to do this, but I'm thinking this, even as somebody who follows God, this is what I feel. And so here's, here's essentially what he says today. He says, life isn't fair, everyone is sinful, and wisdom has limits. Okay, life isn't fair, everyone is sinful, and wisdom has limits. That's basically what I want you to see today in verses 15 through 29. Okay, so here we go. Life isn't fair. So notice this. Go, if you've got your Bibles, look at verse 15. In my vain life, I have seen everything. There is a righteous man who perishes in his righteousness. There's a wicked man who prolongs his life in evil doing, right? In other words, this is the obvious one. This is where he looks and says, man, something's wrong with the world. Good things are happening to bad people. Bad things are happening to good people. And I can't figure this out. And by the way, this is a huge theme in Scripture. Uh, I don't know if you noticed this, but I, I've started making notes. I, I have this little note file in my computer of every time the Proverbs or the Psalmist talks about why is it 
that good things seem to be happening to the worst people in the world. It happens over and over and over. Job, think, think of just the, some scriptures you might know. Think of the book of Job. What are, what are Job's friends saying to him? Job, you, you're not innocent. Bad things don't happen to good people. That's the whole point. Jeremiah laments, why do the wicked prosper? Read Psalm 73. Asaph is just troubled. I look out and I see all of these wicked people flourishing, but your people, God, seem to be suffering. I'm suffering. Why is that? Right? We, we're trying to make sense of this. Now, listen, I would bet most people, I'm guessing, a lot of you in this room would say, I'm a Christian. And we feel this way, don't we? We feel this way. We look and we feel a friction, we feel a dissonance that says, I can't make sense of how it is that bad things happen to good people, good things happen to bad people. Why do they prosper? And why do we feel this way? Why do we feel that friction? Why do we feel that dissonance? Well, let me give you a couple of reasons, I think. Number one, we're all stamped with, maybe you've heard this term, the imago Dei, that is the image of God, and there is something we, we really do cry out for justice, whether we see this or not. There's a part of us that realizes that shouldn't be happening, but it does. So that's maybe the good part of why we feel that way. The bad part of why we feel that way is because all of us have this religious impulse. We all have this religious impulse that says that should just not happen. Now, we have a word for this, right? We have a word, or let's say a worldview, that, uh, that says that bad things happen to bad people, good things happen to good people. You all have heard it. It's an Indian term. It's just called karma, right? It's just, just straight up karma. That, that, and, 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 and as a Christian, right, if somebody were to say, do you believe in karma? No. No, I believe in grace, and I believe, right? But, but the fact of the matter is, listen to how we talk when bad things happen to good people, when good things happen to bad people. What do we do? We say things like, uh, you know, uh, 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 bad things happen to a bad person, he had it coming. Um, what goes around comes around. Uh, how can she be surprised that her children turned out that way? She wasn't a very good mom. Right? This is how we think. Or, or on the other side, when, when bad things happen to good people, oh my goodness, that person was so young. They were so sweet. They were so kind. How could this happen to them? We talk like that. That's my point. That's how we think as Christians. That's how, that's how we talk as Christians. Why does God let Vladimir Putin stay in power? How in the world is this happening? Why, why does it seem that the most rich, powerful, influential people in the world, think about this, just in general, reject God, mock God, sometimes overtly hate God. Like, that just seems to be the operating system in our world. How about you? When you suffer. Look, I, I, it's hard for me to believe this isn't happening in this room. We all do this. God, you know, here are you all. You're all at church. I go to church. I'm faithful there. I'm in a growth group. Travis asked me to do that. I do it. 
I gave this morning. I'm faithful in that, right? I'm a good husband. I'm, I'm, a, I'm a good wife. I'm a good, I'm a good uh, friend. I'm whatever. All these things. I'm a good person. Why is this happening to me? God, why would you allow this? And here's what Ecclesiastes chapter 7 is saying. Wisdom will teach you that thinking like that is folly. Wisdom. You understand, this is wisdom literature. I'm sure Travis has walked you through this. This is part in your Bible where we're in this part of like trying to learn to be wise. This falls smack dab in the middle of it. And here we are, and he's saying, wisdom will teach you the error of thinking that bad things happen to bad people, good things happen to good people, and there's never any exception. It'll keep you from feeling that. So how should we respond when we recognize that bad things really do happen to good people. Good things really do happen to bad people. When we realize that karma is not the operating system, well, then look down at verse 16. Be not overly righteous and do not make yourself too wise. Why should you destroy yourself? Some of you are like, finally, a, com- a commandment I can, I can obey, right? <laughs> that is awesome, right? Amazing. Like, I shouldn't be overly righteous. I've been trying to do that all my life, and this is perfect for me, Right? Be not overly wicked, neither be a fool. Why should you die before your time? Now, this is wild, right? By the way, this is the passage in all of Ecclesiastes that more ink has been spilled over trying to figure out what exactly is going on. So thank you, Travis, for giving me this one. (laughs) Now, what's happening there? Is he saying, hey, don't worry about striving after righteousness? Does that sound, does that resonate with what you know to be true in the Bible? No, right? You hear over and over, God, we hear God say things like this, be holy for I am holy. Is God overdoing it in righteousness? No, and we're supposed to be like Jesus. We're supposed to be growing. We're supposed to be growing in our sanctification. We actually believe in this thing called progressive sanctification. That is, we should be getting more and more practically holy in our life. So this doesn't line up with Scripture if that's what he's saying, if he's saying, hey, don't worry about being too righteous. So what what is he saying? Let me give you two options. And the reason I say this is I think both of these are valid, and you could go either way on this, and and I think both of them lead you and stay within the pale of orthodoxy. Okay, so here's option one. Number one, what the preacher is talking about, he's not talking about genuine righteousness. He's talking about a righteousness that's wrong, You know what that's called? Self-righteousness, right? It's called legalism. Okay, and he's saying that's what we want to avoid. Remember, Jesus is gonna come in the Sermon on the Mount and say, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the Pharisees, you won't inherit the kingdom of God. Well, that's crazy. These people are like, a common Jew would have looked at the Pharisees and said, they're the most righteous people I know. It's gotta exceed that. Because Jesus is going to look at him and say, you're self-righteous. You're not the kind of righteousness that God is looking for. See, self-righteous people think, think, just like we do with karma. We think things like, I'm morally superior. I have an impressive spiritual resume that God ought to be very pleased to have me. Um, God doesn't let people like me suffer. Bad things shouldn't be happening to me. This is what Jesus means by don't be overly righteous. 
Now listen, most of us, most of us think of ourselves as generally good, right? In other words, uh, other people are bad, I'm mostly good. I I think on the scales, I, I come out on the good side because, you know why? Because good quote-unquote, is, is defined by me. <laughs> I don't murder. I don't beat my wife. I don't kill puppies. I'm good, right? I'm, I'm a really good person. I live up to my standard of goodness, my standard of righteousness perfectly. And the preacher is saying, don't be that kind of righteousness. Don't be that kind of righteous. Like, don't, don't be like the Pharisee in Luke 18. You guys all remember the story. He goes in the temple, sees the tax collector. Lord, thank you. I'm not like him. Um, I'm way better than that. Here's what I do. And the, and the, the tax collector can't even look up to heaven. And just, just like, like standing there, Lord, be merciful to me, a sinner. And Jesus says, which one of these walked away justified? It's not the self-righteous guy. So that's option one. I think he's saying... You could, you could say that what's happening here is he's battling against there is a righteousness that leads to death, and we call that self-righteousness, legalism. Here's the second option. What he's doing here is warning people against the belief that righteousness is somehow an insurance policy against calamity. Okay? Don't be overly righteous. In other words, don't be thinking to yourself that... Um, that because I'm, you, you may say, I'm genuinely righteous. Like some people around you may go, man, everything I can tell about you, you are a genuinely righteous person. Okay, so what, what, what do we do with that? The temptation is to believe that because I'm this way, I won't suffer. Because I'm this way, I won't die early. And yet we can all think of examples where life is cut short for people. They die in their righteousness, Several years ago, I don't know if you heard the story of the young missionary family. I mean, went to seminary, got all trained. They had like three kids. They were ready. They were literally finishing up their training in America. They were headed over somewhere, India, somewhere overseas. They're on a highway in Kansas. A truck hits them head on, kills them before they ever get. The entire family died in their righteousness. You understand, the Bible doesn't ever say, if you're righteous, you won't die early. If you're righteous, bad things won't happen. Look, all we have to do is look at Jesus, the prophets, the apostles, over and over and over. Jesus is going to say very plainly, look, if they persecuted me, they're going to persecute you. If they hated me, they're going to hate you. In this world, you will have trouble Paul's going to say, everyone who desires to live a godly life will be persecuted over and over again. In fact, I'd say it's one of the major themes of the New Testament is get ready, Christian. Your righteousness won't save you from suffering. Your righteousness won't save you from death. So don't get that in your mind, he's saying. The preacher's saying, this is one of the things I want to keep you from. Folly will will get you to a place where you actually believe that if I'm righteous enough, genuinely righteous, I really am. God would look on, I'm in Christ. All those things that I think are orthodox, it's all theologically true. And you can still die young. You can still suffer. It's good for us to know that. Wisdom will teach you that. Okay. But but, but now look at what happens in verse 17. He says, don't be overly wicked, neither be a fool. Why should you die before your time? So here's what the Bible does. Wisdom literature does this. It basically says this. 
that if I were to have 100 people that we were saying are genuinely righteous and 100 people who are just, you know, profligate and wicked, you would say, in general, the righteous crowd's going to live longer. They, they really are. Living an upright life, in general, will lead to a, 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 a more long-term life. Uh, listen, listen to how one uh, commentator put this. He says, think of, now talking about wickedness, think of the mobster, the drug lord, the gang member, the pimp. The danger of, that, of being that kind of fool is obvious. Such uh, professions are hardly known for their retirement homes and good pensions. 90% of the murders in the city, such as Chicago, that's where this pastor is, occur because of the overly wicked are killing each other. Do not run with that crowd. If you do, you're likely to die before your time. That's true. Okay, now we all can point to the exception of the gangster that lives to 90. But in general, you will cut your life short. That's what's happening here. That's what's going on. So what do we do? Look at verse 18. It is good that you should take hold of this and from that withhold not your hand. Another, grab it, hold on to this truth. Like that's the idea. And then what does he say? He goes on to say, for the one who fears God shall come out from both of them. In other words, if you trust in God, you will avoid the extreme of let's call it moralism, that is believing that everything's, you know, if I, if I do all the right things, I'm going to be okay, or lawlessness. You, you won't go to those extremes. You'll, you'll trust in God. The length and quality of my days are all in his hands. That's the idea, okay? Life isn't fair. Second of all, wisdom, or everyone, is sinful. Look at verse 19. Wisdom gives strength to the wise men more than 10 rulers who are in a city. So in other words, he's saying, look, wisdom's worth it. Wisdom's worth it. It's worth you pursuing, and it's better than something. It's better than what? More than 10 rulers in a city. In other words, think of it this way. What he's saying is imagine that you could just imagine this, California Christian. Imagine living in a place ruled by wise, godly leaders. That's, some of you are like, that's Idaho, right? <laughs> that's, that's Texas. It's got to be Texas, right? It's got to be one of those that everybody's moving to. Isn't that why they're going? Because we want to be in that place that says, like, I'm, I, I'm, I'm safe because of who's ruling over me. They're wise, they're godly. And he says there's something better than that. There's something better than you farming out wisdom and godliness to national and civic leaders. It's far better that you have it yourself. Because you know what? If you have wisdom, you can even live in California. <laughs> you can stay right here and flourish. I mean this seriously. Like, this is what he's saying. I'm, look, some of you are going to leave, whatever. But I'm just saying, at the end of the day, wherever you go, there you are. <laughs> Your heart will go with you. Is it a wise heart or is it a foolish heart? Don't kid yourself into believing that a new environment will change your life. It never will if you're not wise. That's the idea. He said, this is way, way better than that, than you, than you having that sort of, there's these 10 rulers. I mean, all of the rulers, we have all this wisdom and strength and leadership. No, 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 get it yourself. Get it yourself. Now, look what he's going to do, though. Okay, so we're thinking, okay, 
I've got it. That's me. Now look at verse 20. He says, surely there's not a righteous man on the earth who does good and never sins. Like in other words, that even godly rulers, the most wise person still sins. David's going to say, no one living uh, is righteous. Paul's going to say very plainly, borrowing from David and some of the other Psalms, no one is righteous, not even one. No one seeks up for God. No one understands. All have turned aside. Together they become worthless. No one does good, not even one. So, so lest you get inflated in your mind and think, oh, I'm one of those wise people. God has given me wisdom, and hopefully he has. You still realize I'm, I'm a sinner, Everyone is sinful. Now watch how he proves this. This is amazing. Look at verse 21. Don't take to heart all the things that people say, lest you hear your servant cursing you. Your heart knows that many times you yourselves have cursed others. Do you hear what he just did? He basically says, let me prove to you that you're a sinner. And he outs everybody in this room. Because he says, don't don't you come to this place where you, you know, first of all, don't, don't take to heart everything people say, right? You, you throw out the, probably the top, the bottom. It's somewhere in the middle, I've heard people say, right? But don't, you, you, people, let's say it this way. Do you know that people gossip about you? This is what he's saying. Do you know that? Do you know that people talk about, about you behind your back? They do. And you know how you know that? Because you do it. That's the whole point of what he's saying. And I promise you, none of you could look me in the face and say, I don't do it. You're a liar. Everybody does this. And I'm not, no, it's not, I'm not excusing it. You hear me? This is what he's saying. This is what proves to you we can't control our tongues. The Bible calls gossip a juicy morsel. And we love it. How many of us can resist the impulse to pass on some piece of gossip that we find just delicious. I have got to tell somebody this. This is too good not to pass on. Somebody said the proof that all humans are sinful is right between our teeth. That's it. That's what he's saying. This proves to you you're sinful. Now, there's a lot of other things we could say about how to prove that we're sinful, but he said, this is what he's doing in verses 20, 21, 22, right? Like everybody's sinful and here's how we know. See, God promises to give wisdom to anybody who asks. I love James chapter 1. Anyone lack wisdom? Let him ask from God. He'll give it generously without reproach. Do you know that's a guaranteed answered prayer? I love seeing things like that in Scripture. You can ask for wisdom right now. And God says, if you ask for this, he'll give it to you generously and without reproach. But don't think that because he does that for you, don't think because you're a wise person you won't sin. When you recognize that, that'll keep you humble, that'll keep you dependent, that'll keep you repentant, and that's a really good place to be, okay? So, life isn't fair, everyone is sinful, and finally, wisdom has limits, Look at verses 23 and 24. All this I've tested by wisdom, I said I will be wise, but it was far from me. That which has been is far off and deep, very deep. Who can find it out? What is he saying? He's saying, look, human wisdom can only go so far. Here's the preacher saying, I wanted to be wise. By the way, that's a great impulse. 
I hope everybody in here, if, you, if you're a follower of Jesus, if you're somebody who, who loves the Lord, you'd say, I really do want to be wise. It's just recognizing that the highest human wisdom is still somebody who doesn't know everything. You don't understand everything. You haven't plumbed the depths, right? It takes a wise person to know that wisdom, human wisdom, has limits. By the way, he's not saying Oh, therefore, as philosophers say, there's no meaning. That's not the idea. There's no truth. There's no meaning. No, he's saying it's limited. What, 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 uh, Paul, I think, is echoing this in Romans chapter 11. Right? Who has known the mind of the Lord? Who has been his counselor? Who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid for, from him and through him and to him are all things to him be glory forever. Right? That, that God is the one with all the wisdom. Um, living, like, it, it, look, it, trying to have that sort of ultimate God-like wisdom is uh, impossible. It, it's impossible. You'll never get there, right? I mean, I, we think of it a lot of ways. I, I've always, I remember one of my professors in seminary talking about how God is like, if you think of it like an iceberg, there's what, like one-tenth of an iceberg sits above the water and nine-tenths is below the surface, Right? He, in other words, he's saying there's, there's a vast amount that we don't know about God. We only know what he revealed above the surface. It's good for us to know that. It's good for us to know that, 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 that we have a limit to our wisdom. It's, it's like, you know, I, I understand that the, the deepest point in the Pacific, I think it's off the coast of Monterey somewhere, is what they call the Laurentian Abyss. You understand, no, no human will ever go out there and free dive to the bottom and come back up. It's not, it'll never, ever be done. You will never, ever plumb the depths of wisdom. This is Job 38 and following. God shows up in the whirlwind. Job, sit down. Let me talk to you now, brother. You're making all these accusations against me? Where were you when? Did you know this? Did you know that? What's he saying? Job, your, your human wisdom is limited. There's so much you don't know in life under the sun. You, you, are, you are a puny little ant in a cosmos of, 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 of activity. You know nothing about what's going on. That's the idea. God is God. We are us. And we're not him, right? That is, he's perfect. He's He's, he's holy. He's the all-wise God. So pursue wisdom. Yes, ask for it. Seek for it. Seek for it like gold. Seek for it like silver, as the, as the Psalms and Proverbs tell us to do. But remember, it has its limits. That will make you humble, dependent, and repentant. And that's a great place to be. Look at verse 25. He says, So I turn my heart to know and to search out and to seek wisdom and to the scheme of things and know the wickedness of folly and the foolishness that is madness. Okay, now watch. Here's what he's going to do. Okay, I can't know everything. I can know some things. I really did, you know, I turned my heart to try and find out some things and I realized that wickedness is stupid, folly is crazy. This is what he's going to say. That's a pretty easy one for me to know. Wisdom teaches me that. And so then he gives us some examples. Look at, verse, uh, look at verse 26. And I find something more bitter than death, the woman whose heart is snares and nets and whose hands 
are fetters. He who pleases God escapes her, but the sinner is taken in by her. Now, now let's just talk here just for a second. He, he's not, uh, th- this is not a diatribe against women here. I, I, if this is Solomon, by the way, I bet Solomon didn't like women, but, but that's beside the point. Um, remember this, in the book of Proverbs, wisdom is personified, in, uh, or wisdom and folly are personified, right? So you have Lady Wisdom, and you're going to read about her, and I think it's chapters three and four, and then, and then Lady Folly is personified in chapters five and seven of, of Proverbs, okay? And what's happening there? They're just, and, and, and the way Lady Folly is personified is through, uh, and, and her folly is, is through sexual immorality. So this is what he's talking about. He's saying there's, there's a kind of, I, I can know this. I can know that, that I should flee sexual immorality. I, I can know, and it takes lots of wisdom to know. It doesn't take a whole ton of wisdom, I should say, to know that sexual immorality is wrong, that sexual morality is a trap, that sexual morality will, will, will sort of uh, take you and own you at some point. That's the whole point of what he's saying, right? He knows that, we could say, through wisdom. I don't know a lot, Here's what I do know. It's amazing. That seems so obvious. And so it's so rare that people know that. Okay, let's just talk about sexual morality for a second. Nobody even uses that term unless you're at church. That's super prudish. That's silly. Sex is sex. It is what it is. Who cares? Um, Sex means nothing, right? We're in a culture that says one of two things. Either sex is nothing. It's just, it's just, it's like a, it's like a, it's like a basic urge. Like I have to drink water. Like I have to eat food. I have to have sex, right? And there's the other side that says sex is everything. Sex is who I am. Sex defines me. The Bible says it's neither of those. It's not nothing. As much as the culture wants to say it's not nothing and dismiss it like whatever, just a hookup, it's not a big deal, everybody knows that's not true. Like if I compare it to food, food doesn't traumatize me. Sex can traumatize me. Right? I mean, uh, we had a guy a few weeks ago at Foothill and I actually wanted, I was like, is that true? You know, sometimes you hear illustrations, you're like, ah, that sounds, that sounds made up, right? So I went and actually checked it out. He said that Jennifer Lawrence, I didn't see the movie. Some of you might remember there's a movie Jennifer Lawrence did with Chris Pratt, and it was a space movie, and they have like a, there's a sex scene in it, apparently. Um, and she had never done that before. And, and, and. So she was very nervous about it, and the article, there's several articles that talk about it, so what she did to get prepared for that was she got super drunk, and she called her mom to basically say, tell me everything's going to be okay. We know sex isn't nothing, but Christian, we know sex isn't everything. It's not how I define myself. 
It's not where I get my identity, but this is what the culture says, right? And the culture actually speaks of sex as ultimate liberation. Do you see what he says here in verse 26? Look at the second half of that. He who pleases God escapes her, but the sinner is taken in by her. At the very place where people say they're most free, the Bible's going to say they're trapped. Now, by the way, if this is Solomon... (laughs) I don't know that it is, or if it's trying to even tell us about Solomon's life. Here's a guy who had 700 wives, 300 concubines. That's exhausting to think about. (laughs) And he's saying, man, only wisdom will teach you this, because you will never pick that up anywhere else. Right? To, to, To suppress sexuality, to not give in to those things, like nobody outside of the Bible and church is going to teach you that. Now, let's keep going. Look at verse 28. He says, my soul is sought repeatedly, but I have not found one man among a thousand I found, but a woman among all these I have not found. Now, that just sounds awful, doesn't it, ladies? It's like, are men better than women? I don't think that's the idea. He uses hyperbole a lot. Here's what I think is happening in verse 28. He's basically saying it's nearly impossible to find wisdom. I can, you know, folly is the dominant streak in, in, in humankind without God, male or female. This isn't a gender thing at all, right? So this wisdom has limits, and it's not innate to us. It's not something, it's something that has to be given to us. So look at, look at verse 29. He says, here's one more thing I've discovered. See, this alone I found that God made man upright, but they have sought out many schemes, So here he is, and he says, okay, here's something else I know. Here's what wisdom, I may have limited wisdom, but I do know this. Genesis chapter 1 through 3 tells me that God made us upright, righteous. We were good, right? We screwed things up, and and we rebelled, and now we live in this fallen world. And so he says, now every generation seems like they find new ways of sinning against God. He says there's these schemes They have sought out many schemes. It's like every generation finds new, innovative ways to violate the law of God. You notice this is why why elder generations look at the next one and go, man, I can't believe they do that. Every generation says that about the next one. Some of you are younger in this room. Your kids are going to grow up, and you're going to say, how does their generation even think of these kinds of sins? Boy, us and our generation. We were good, right? Take us back to the good old days. There's no good old days ever, ever. Because every generation thinks of new, exciting, innovative ways to violate the law of God. Wisdom has limits. But he says, here's what I can know. I know these kind of basic things. There's wickedness, that's crazy. Folly, that's foolishness. I know sexual morality is the height of folly. I know, I know that, uh, that we seem to just find all these new ways. Wisdom teaches you that. All right, I, I said that's the last point. I lied. There's one other thing I want to tell you. <laughs> there's a good man who never sinned. Look back at verse 20. Surely there's not a righteous man on earth who does good and never sins. That's true 
except for one. Right? Bad things shouldn't happen to good people. I hope you understand that's only happened one time in human history. Bad things don't happen to good people. (laughs) There's no one good, not even one, unless you're Jesus. See, the Bible agrees with this. There's no one righteous. There's only one exception. Christ is like us in every way, except without sin. God made him to be sin, who knew no sin, that in him we might become the righteousness of God. He was tempted in every way and yet without sin. Christ is the one perfect man. Christ enters the world. He lives the perfect life. He dies the perfect death. He rises from the dead. He pays the price for sin. He gets what I deserve. I get what he deserved. In that exchange of righteousness, I put my faith in him. And so I just want to end end with this question. What makes you right before God? Is it, it, boy, I've figured out a way to unlock Ecclesiastes chapter 7. I'm a good man, good woman. Um, Or let's say it this way. (laughs) Does God love you right now? Really, how does God feel toward you right now? I want to ask this whether you're a Christian or not a Christian in this room. If you're a Christian, say, he, he feels loving kindness and steadfast love and mercy and grace and all these things, you're on the right track. But if you find yourself thinking, right now, Chris? You mean right now in light of what I did last night? Right now in light of what happened this week? Right now in light of some things that I'm going through? Well, I don't know that he does. I think if only I would do X, Y, and Z, then God would love me. Here's what I want you to hear. If that's true, if that's true, then you really don't believe in the power of the cross. You, you deny the very thing that saves you. Because now you're saying, I can actually somehow earn God's love. I lose it through my performance. I gain it through my performance. And so that means you can empty the cross of all of its meaning. See, we are united with Christ. And so now we can say, we can say because of that, right, I've, I've blown it. I messed up this week. Maybe I, was, maybe I was lawless and I need Jesus. Maybe I was self-righteous and I need Jesus. But the answer in both of those is the one who had no sin. And I'm united to him. And this is, this is how I've gained my righteousness. I'm righteous in that way. And that way alone. I love that we sang that song at the beginning. He loved us while we were still sinners, still sinning. Christ died for us. And that death covers yesterday, today, and forever if you put your faith in him. Let's pray. Father, Lord, we love you. We thank you for your word. And I pray, oh God, that
you would help that to just sink deeply into our bones, God. Wisdom will teach us these things, and we recognize that Jesus, the only good one, is the source of wisdom. He is greater than Solomon. He's greater than this preacher. He's greater than the wisdom literature, and I pray, Lord, that we'd find ourselves attached to him, united to him, our faith in him, and that you would, you would uh, cause this to be something we, we carry with us, Lord. There's going to be some bad things that happen to people in this room. There's going to be some good things and to, lots of good things that happen to people this week that don't deserve it. But God, you are a good God and you are gracious to us and we thank you for that. Speak to us now, we pray in Jesus' name, amen.